It is my joy to welcome you to today's podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will minister to you in a special way during our time together. Let's go to uh, Mark chapter 5. In a moment, we're going to look at a story, a true story, that really happened. And uh, before we look at the Word of God, Sister Stubbs, uh, it is an honor to be here. Thank you. Um, your pastor is so respected all over the world. Um, f- yeah. So s- people speak so highly of Sister Stubbs. I haven't even told her this, but I literally come in contact with people all of the time. And when over the last few months I mentioned, sometimes people ask, where, where will you be traveling next? And when I mentioned India and said Hyderabad, oh, Sister Stubbs. And so she is so respected. It is a privilege to be here. I don't deserve to be here. Thank you for your work and your heart for the gospel and your love for India. And also thank you for releasing Pastor Valson uh, to serve with us at the World Assemblies of God Fellowship Next Gen. Pastor Valson has become a dear friend. Um, had a chance to uh, share a meal yesterday with Pastor Valson and Julie. And we have, we have watched God impact leaders all over the world. Uh, Europe, Africa, and I can't remember wherever else we've been, but we've been in many countries together, and uh, it's just fun to be in your part of the world. It's great. I didn't grow up in church. I had no idea who Jesus was, and uh, today what I would like to do is just talk to you briefly about out of all of the individuals in the Bible, uh, the one person that I resonate most with. And if I could maybe summarize what I'm going to talk to you about, it would be how personal Jesus is with each one of us. Uh, The most important part of my family, or of my life is my family. I'd like to show you a picture. Uh, I've been married to Allie for about 22 years, and we have two daughters. Leighton is 19, Dallin is 18. Both of our daughters are in university right now. So our, our home is full of books and homework. And um, they're the most important part of my life. As you can tell, we have a big dog as well. He is the size of a horse. And um, I live in a home with ladies, and so we needed some testosterone. So we do what you would do. We bought a dog. And um, so the most recent book that I wrote that's coming out, Pastor Valson talked about it. It is called The Sacred Chase. Um, It is going to be available everywhere books are sold. It is available for pre-order now uh, if you want to get it and save a little bit of money. It's actually fairly affordable right now because it has not been released. It will release in a few months. I devoted five years to study the story in Mark chapter 5 about the man who called himself Legion. And um, I'd like to invite you into a moment that Jesus shared with someone in the book. It's called The Sacred Chase. Mark chapter 5 verse 1 says this. Then they came to the other side of the sea of the Gadarenes, who is they? In order to understand what the Bible means, we have to understand what it meant, so let's go back. At the end of Mark chapter four, they are Jesus and some of his friends, or some of his disciples. So who is Jesus? We know that Jesus was a Hebrew man who spoke the Aramaic language, and yet his teachings were primarily recorded in ancient Greek. We know that after Jesus came back to Israel as a refugee from Egypt, Jesus never traveled more than 160 kilometers from his hometown. 
He was not a world traveler. We know that Jesus communicated, some scholars tell us, on the level of a 12-year-old. Others tell us he communicated on the level of approximately an 8-year-old child, which is that we don't know. What we do know is Jesus communicated in a language that children could understand. How do we know that? It was the little boy who brought five loaves of barley bread, barley, the bread of the poor, and two small fish to the mighty one. He took it, he broke the bread, gave thanks, and the multitude was fed through the hand of the disciples. What I love about God is God always speaks in a language we understand. Remember the prophet Jonah? The prophet Jonah was swallowed by a fish. Isn't it interesting that the Ninevites worshiped a fish god? So when Jonah walks through the gates of the city and he smells like fish vomit, everybody thinks he's a messenger from God. God always speaks in a language that we understand. Now we understand why Jonah was not swallowed by an elephant. Now we understand why Jonah was not swallowed by a hippopotamus. He was swallowed by a fish because God wastes no details in life. And God speaks your language. God speaks mine as well. What we're about to read and see in Mark chapter 5 is that sometimes when God speaks to us, regardless of where we come from, regardless of our level of education or what earthly language we speak, God always gets perfect the language of the human heart. They is Jesus and his disciples. We know that Jesus did not come to the earth to create Christianity. We know that Jesus did not come to convert people from one religion to another we know that Jesus came because there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He is the only way. He is not the most relevant way. Jesus is not the American way. He is not the Indian way. He is not the easy way. He is not the most popular way. He is the only way. And when Jesus came to the earth, he not only taught people what to believe, I would suggest he taught people how to believe. And there's something magnetic and beautiful about the face of Jesus. That when Jesus healed the leper, he didn't just say, be healed. He reached out and touched the untouchable. He touched the leper. I love that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he had to say, Lazarus, come forth. Had he not said, Lazarus, I would suggest there is so much power in the voice of God that everyone who had ever died would have been resurrected. He did not say, Lazarus, come forth, because he didn't know who he was going to raise. He said, Lazarus, come forth to restrict everyone else from being resurrected. That's who Jesus is. He was there in Genesis chapter 1 when God spoke and the universe was created. But when God created humanity, God did not speak. Instead, God scooped up a mound of dirt and breathed. God speaks in galaxies form, but he saves his very breath for us. We were created by the breath or the spirit of God, and we were created to contain or to hold the breath or the spirit of God. That's who Jesus is. And Jesus invited some of his friends to get into a boat. That sounds fairly uh, normal, doesn't it? He invites his friends to get into a boat. At the end of Mark chapter 4, you can read it for yourself later. It says, Jesus invited his disciples to get into the boat. And as the boat 
pushed offshore, they find themselves on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible tells us a great storm broke out, a storm that is so violent, by the way, that it blew the boat about 22 kilometers off course. It's not as if there was a little rain or a little wind. The storm is violent. It is tumultuous. And the disciples do what many of us do when the storm comes. When the storms of life come, we ask, where is God? God, if you are so powerful, why did you allow the storm to happen? God, if you are so personal, where are you in the middle of the storm? And remember, it was not the devil who invited the disciples to get into the boat. It was Jesus. That reminds us all that not all storms come from the evil one. Sometimes storms are designed by God. And when God invites you into a storm, you can trust that no matter where you end up, you will find yourself right in the middle of the perfect purpose and will of God. Certain moments become sovereign moments when Jesus is there. Amen. The Bible tells us Jesus invites them into the boat. The disciples are terrified they're going to die. And they ask a question. We ask, where is Jesus? And I'll tell you where he is. Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of the boat. How can Jesus sleep in the bottom of a boat in the middle of a violent storm? Perhaps it is because Jesus learned how to live in a world that does not have storms. And if I was one of the disciples, I would have done this. Where's Jesus? He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. I'll be right back. I would have ran down to the bottom of the boat, grabbed Jesus, woke him up and said, Jesus, what is your problem? How can you sleep in the middle of a storm? Don't you understand that we are about to die? And I can imagine Jesus taking me by the hand, leading me to the top of the boat and saying, look out, Heath. What do you see? I'll tell you what I see. I see wind. I see waves. This is violent. This is a storm. We're going to drown. And I can imagine Jesus responding, Oh, Heath, why are you afraid? And I can imagine Jesus quoting Psalm 23 to me. He leads us beside still waters. That in the midst of the violent storm, the waters are always still. And what does Jesus do at the end of Mark 4? He speaks, Peace, be still. You notice it does not say, be still, peace. He does not calm the storm, and then peace comes. The first thing that happens is they encounter the peace of God. And the peace of God, by the way, is a person. He has a name. Isaiah calls him the Prince of Peace. He speaks, peace, be still. The peace of God comes, and then the storm calms. But the storm calms just in time to cause the boat to be blown off course 22 kilometers and they arrive at the shore, the shore of Gadara. And that brings us to Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, the Sea of Galilee, and they landed at the shore of the Gerasenes or Gadara. Verse 2, when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. There are people today who you feel unclean, ashamed, embarrassed, unlovable, untouchable. But there is no one alive on the planet today that Jesus is not madly in love with. The Bible describes him as a man with an unclean spirit. Where did he live? It says in verse 3, he lived among the tombs. It goes on to tell us that no one could bind him. 
nor could anyone tame him, not even with the chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. And no one, it says, had the strength to subdue him. Verse 5, night and day. It says, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. Verse 7, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God that you do not torment me. For he was saying to him, who is he, Jesus? Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Out of everybody in the Bible, I can relate most to this man. I did not grow up in church, I told you. At a very young age, I was taught by those closest to me from family members how to talk to evil spirits and demons. So at about the age of four and five, I began to have conversations with the spirit world. You know, I'm reminded that what you see is not all that there is. And sometimes in this life, we confuse opportunities with distractions. And at the end of the day, what you don't see is much more real than anything you can ever touch, taste, feel, or smell. And so as a young boy, when boys are supposed to play with toys and play with their friends in the neighborhood, I'm talking with demons. And so I remember the first time I looked at the chair and moved it across the floor. I remember the first time I looked at the candle that was on our coffee table and I watched the candle float in the air. And you can't have a conversation with the devil very long before you find yourself going down a road you wish you would have never traveled down. As a very young boy, I had a lot of issues. I had a lot of problems. And I was steeped in sin and I was lost in darkness. But I'm reminded today that there is no such thing as darkness, only absence of light. I was as lost as you can fathom. A little boy talking with demons started to memorize what is called the Satanic Bible. And I was deeply interested in finding language to describe my experience. And so I began to study all, a variety of different religious writings and, and backgrounds. And I found myself at the age of 14 having a lot of issues. But at the age of 14, I took a break from everything I was involved in because my mom met who would become my second father, and he was from Sicily. And he came from a Catholic background. And so the rule was, if they were going to get married, all of us had to go to the Catholic church and go to some classes and uh, uh, receive our baptism in the Catholic faith. And so I tried that. And I want to be clear, I could have met Jesus at that time, but I did not. Instead, I gave religion a try, but there's a difference between giving religion a try and opening your heart up to the love of Jesus. And so I took a break from the occult and Satanism and drugs and everything else, and I, I began to learn about that particular religion. And that's when he spoke. You know, the most important voice in the world is not always the loudest one. And often the most important voice does not carry with it a loud volume. Instead, often the Spirit of God whispers, and the world is changed when those who hear the whisper of God dare to slow down long enough to listen. 
She was 14 years of age, and she was walking down the hallway of her school campus, and the Spirit of God whispered to her something to the effect of, you see that young boy over there? Pray for him. I have a call on his life to preach. You're going to marry him one day. Now, for all of the teenagers in the room, what she did not do is walk up to me and say, God told me I'm going to marry you. Instead, she went home and she talked to her mom. Thank God for a mom who listens. You know, those of you who have children, one of the most important things you can do as a parent is to be present and listen when they want to talk. And thank God for a mom who understood that God speaks to children and teenagers just as much as he does mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers. After all, there is no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. The same one who speaks to you, sir, miss, is the same one who's speaking to your children right now in Sunday school. He is the same one who speaks to your kids when they walk down the hallway or when they walk through the shopping center or when they're playing cricket with their friends in the park. He speaks to everybody in a language they understand. Pray for him, the Spirit said. I have a call on his life. You're going to marry him one day. She went home and told her mom, and her mom and her began to pray. For three and a half years, they prayed. Well, she went to a different high school than the young man, and I happened to be that young man. And when I went to high school, I forgot about the religions I had learned about, and the Bible says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to its folly. And I went back into the world and became more involved in the occult and satanic activity than I had ever been before. I don't want to go into detail, but I just had a lot of issues. And I remember one day I was invited to church. And I actually went. At the age of 17, I went to what I would describe as the most dysfunctional, messed up church service you can imagine. It was nothing like this. We did not have a building like this. This facility is unbelievable. It's a testimony to God's faithfulness and to the miracles that God has performed, but also to the miracles God will continue to do. We didn't have a building like this. We certainly did not have musicians. Uh, there were about 20 people who were sitting in a circle. I remember walking in that night and people were yelling at one another. Some were using vulgar curse words with one another. People were crying the police were there. I knew one of the police officers very well. His name was Officer Willie. He used to search my car all of the time. I became very good friends with Officer Willie. And what I found out was the reason why people were crying and shouting and they didn't sing worship songs, somebody did not preach a sermon. What took place is somebody in the church became very frustrated and angry with the pastor and threatened to kill the pastor. So they were having a family meeting explaining why a family was not allowed to come back. The family was too violent. That was my church experience. God always speaks in a language we understand. Because I walked in and I felt right at home. I could relate to everything that was going on. Had I walked in and somebody walked up to me and said, young man, you must change your clothes before you're allowed to come here. I would have felt like, I would have felt shame. Had somebody come up to me and said, yeah, I'm sorry, young man, but people like you don't belong here. I would have felt embarrassed, but I walked in and I felt right at home. And I realize now it's because God had orchestrated all of those events in my life up to that moment, just like he blew the boat off course in Mark chapter four. I remember sitting there 
thinking, if I can just ask Jesus to become real to me, then I will really know whether or not he is real. And so I sat there. There was no worship, no sermon. Instead, at the end of their little meeting, a man who was a volunteer in the church who happened to be the dad of somebody I had physics class with. Thank God for people who volunteer. If you volunteer in the church, I honor you and I bless you. I thank you for serving the house of God. I thank you for serving the family of God. This man was a truck driver. He worked 60 plus hours a week. No, you would not know his name. He'll probably never get invited to come speak here. But I stand here because of his faithfulness. His name is Kurt. God, thank you for Kurt. At the end of our meeting, Kurt said, would anybody like to ask Jesus to become his Lord and Savior? And I'm the only person who raised my hand. And it was that night when I walked forward about three meters when I met God. And God supernaturally healed my body of some diseases and sickness. God supernaturally set me free from all of my addictions. I went through some deliverance and some other things because of the background I had. And I'm the first Christian who has ever existed in my ancestry that we know of. And I'm the product of one person who invited me to church, but I'm also the product of one young person who dared to listen when God spoke and one mom who dared to believe and they began to pray. Because the day after I met Jesus, I went home and I checked the mail and I received a letter in the mail from that girl who dared to listen when God spoke at the age of 14. The letter was five pages long. And she began to answer all of my questions about God that I asked her at the age of 14 at our school campus. After I married that girl, I remember reading in her prayer journals. 2.52 a.m., God, I pray, reveal yourself to Heath. I pray that Heath will know you. All because one 14-year-old girl dared to listen when God said, you see that young man, pray for him. I have a call on his life to preach. You're going to marry him one day. God is very involved, and God always speaks in a language we understand. I owe everything to Jesus. I'm thankful for mercy and grace. Mercy is when God does not give us what we deserve. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. I woke up this morning yet again thinking, oh Lord, thank you for mercy. Thank you for grace. It's true. I don't deserve to be here, and you don't either. But thanks be to God, in Christ, we're family. The Bible tells us that the storm blew Jesus and the disciples off course, and they came to the shore. The Bible describes a man whose name we don't know, but his condition is described very well. It goes on to say that this man lived in the tombs. If you go to Gadara today, you'll still see the tombs on the side of the cliff. They're two and a half meters by two and a half meters. It's where the dead were buried. It's where the demonized and the criminals lived. They were rumored to be hunted at the time of Mark chapter 5's events. This man lived among the dead bodies and the cadavers because he was severely tormented. When you read in the other Gospels about the man, it says the man had no, no, no clothing that he wore. The Bible says this man screamed out day and night. There would have come a time where a dad kissed his little daughter goodnight and laid her down on the bed and her head up against a pillow. And if you would have stopped and listened, you would have heard the cries of the man. The man who screamed all day and all night. 
He found no rest for his soul. Some of you are like that. Some of you seem to find no rest for your soul. But I'm reminded of the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy, and I will give you rest. This man had no rest. The Bible says that he used to cut himself with knives and stones. This man is walking around. He has no clothing on. He screams all of the time. He is literally inhabited by thousands of evil spirits. This man is covered in blood, pus, scabs. And what would you do, sir, if you're leaving the cricket game? And all of a sudden, a man with no clothes on, covered in blood, pus, and scabs, screaming at the top of his lungs, came running directly at you. I'll tell you what you would do. You would run the opposite direction, wouldn't you? You would find a police officer. What would you do, miss, if you're walking with your children to school and all of a sudden a man with no clothes on, covered in blood, pus, and scabs, tormented by thousands of evil spirits, came running directly at you? What would you do? What does Jesus do? The Bible says this man who lived in the tombs, who cried out night and day, who cut himself with knives and stones, possessed by thousands of demons. On that day, when the storm blew the little boat off course and it just happened to arrive at the shore, on that day, the Bible says, when he saw Jesus from afar, what is his first response? It is not, there's no way God is interested in me. It is not, I should clean up my life before I come to a holy God. It is not, God loves other people, but God is not interested in me. His first response when he sees Jesus from afar is to run. You know, Jesus is so beautiful and breathtaking that even now, with a mere glance at who Jesus really is, it changes everything. He ran, and he fell down, and he worshipped him. You can infer from the text that the man worshipped Jesus and the demons who lived in him paid the Lord homage. The Bible tells us that Jesus asked this man a question. A man who was wearing no clothes, covered in blood, pus and scabs, screaming at the top of his lungs, running directly at the Son of God. And Jesus asked, what is your name? It's important when you read the text to understand Jesus is not asking the spirit what its name is. Jesus does not care. The devil, after all, is not the opposite of God. He is already defeated. Jesus asks the man, what is your name? And I want you to see something. It says this. It says, what is your name? Verse Nine And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. The man has forgotten his name. The man is so messed up that he allows his condition to define him. What is your name? I'm a drug addict. What is your name? I'm an alcoholic. What is your name? 
I was abused as a child. What is your name? I was an orphan. What is your name? I never went to college. What is your name? I struggle with depression. What is your name? And the list goes on and on and on. Oftentimes people define themselves by their issues and their condition, but Jesus is not interested initially in the man's issues. Jesus asked the man the question, what is your name? Not because Jesus doesn't know the man's name, but because the man doesn't know the man's name. What is your name? My name is Legion, for we are many. And watch this. It says, And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. I did some research on this. It says, He, who is he, the man who called himself Legion, he begged him, who is him, Jesus, he begged him not to send them. Who are them? The evil spirits. The man begs Jesus not to send the demons too far away. It goes to show you how lonely and desperate this man is because he would rather be haunted and tormented by demons than left alone. His only friends are the very ones who tormented him. And what does Jesus ask? Hey, what's your name? And that's what he asks of you today. What is your name? Lord, I want to thank you for your mercy. I want to thank you that just like the storm blew the boat off course, even today, our very life's situation and circumstance has brought us to this moment. That for those who feel like they are tossed back and forth in life, it is this moment, this day, where Jesus, you have come to their shore and you are accessible. And with a mere glance, regardless of where we come from, if our response is to run to you, you will never turn us away. You will never be ashamed or embarrassed to be seen with us, but you will teach us what our true name is. And I want to ask two questions today. Every eye closed. The first question would be this. Whether you're in the room or you're watching or listening online, if you would say, I don't know who God is. There is an emptiness inside of me, and I have not been able to fix it on my own. And the good news is today, with a mere glance, you can know the truth, and the truth can set you free. Truth is not a philosophical concept. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. And if that's you, and you would like to ask Jesus to forgive you, to change your life, and you would like to have a personal relationship with a God, who gave it all for you. Who looks at you just like he did Legion. Who was naked and did not have an appearance. Did not have a reputation that was acceptable. And yet Jesus did not turn him away. And some of you may come from a well-educated background. You may even have a good job. But you, along with everybody else, if you don't know Jesus, you need to. Because when we stand before God, our achievements in this life mean nothing. The only hope we have is the grace and mercy found in the cross that Jesus gave his life on. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, we can have life as well. If that's you, I would like to ask Jesus to change my life. And you know this is for you. I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up really quick. Up, 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 up. Thank you, miss. 
Thank you, sir. That's a good choice. All over the place. Let me see your hands. That's a good choice. Thank you, sir. Yes, ma'am. Good move. Yes, ma'am. Proud of you. Thank you. Yes, young man. Thank you. In the balcony. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I want to ask a second question. If you would be willing to say, for the rest of my life, God, I will dare to listen when you speak. And God may speak to you to move to Europe and be a bivocational minister where you're a doctor, a lawyer, or an educator, and yet you advance the kingdom of Europe. God may speak to you to move to the Middle East or to move to Africa. Or God may speak to you right here in Hyderabad, wherever it goes. But perhaps that the whisper of God would come your way and if you would dare to listen you would not make a difference but you would make the difference and if that's you just a quiet yes in your heart before the Lord you don't need to raise your hand but right where you are yes God my answer is yes before I know what the question is my answer is yes when you whisper to me I'm listening I'm listening my answer is yes God, I pray as Sister Stubbs comes, I pray right now for those who raise their hands. I thank you that your grace is sufficient. I thank you that your mercy is enough. I pray right now for new legacies and families. I thank you, God, that you take us as we are. And because you love us, you don't leave us the way we are. I thank you that today many people are being asked, what is your name? That today many people are being introduced to who they really are in Christ. And I thank you that under the sound of my voice, each and every one of us belong to you. I pray for legacies to begin, for souls and, and lives to be transformed and that everybody who raised their hand and said, Jesus, I want to know you. I thank you that today they are beginning a journey with you that will endure for the rest of their life. May the favor of God and the love of his son and the presence of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you all the days of your life. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen. If you would like more information about our church or would like to make a comment, please mail us at info at newlifeag.in. God bless you.